Seinfeld. The doll is over, but we're just getting started here on Seinfeld, the post-show recap of podcasts about nothing. And now here are the two guys who love podcasting about Seinfeld because they're both wackos. I'm Rob Sestrino. Here's the Kiva Winnaker. Kiva, how are you? Oh, I was sure you were just going to say, uh, here are two guys who are not wearing pants. Yes, and who look like Charles Grodin. Whoever that is. Yes, yes he's the dad in Beethoven. The movie? Yeah, you never saw that? It didn't make your top 100? Uh, no, I've never, I'm not, I wasn't like a big dog guy, so I never watched the dog movies. Yeah, okay. Well, they were ready to talk about The Doll, an episode in which George ends up uh, being very uncomfortable by one of Susan's uh, dolls, which looks a lot like his mom. And then Elaine is reunited with the maestro, who she's trying to get a poster for. Plus, George's dad puts in a pool table in George's old room. And Jerry is dealing with not having any material. Jerry Seinfeld has an episode of the show where suddenly he has no material and no jokes. Uh, Yeah, the same guy who's willing to tell, uh, you know, the pilot joke in this episode, which is like, the pilot talks too much and he overshares and it's a total non-joke and it's nothing. That same guy is not willing to, you know, he's got zero minutes of material for the Charles Grodin show. This is the most far-fetched storyline in all seven seasons and perhaps all nine seasons of Seinfeld that there is. That all of a sudden this week, Jerry Seinfeld has no stand-up material he needs a bottle of barbecue sauce to get through an interview. He's a prop comic all of a sudden. Yeah, he's Carrot Top. I, yes. I, it's also, they, he could have at least said, like, I'm having writer's block. Like, I can't remember anything. Or they want me to do all new stuff, and I, you know, I don't have time to write. But, yeah, it's so unrealistic that, you know. That, I mean, there's so many messy storylines in this episode. I, I, can't, I almost can't even count them. All right. Well, we'll get into everything here. Keith, how you been this week? I'm a little sick. I'm a little under the weather. Oh, no. I hear it. Oh, no. I mean, I'll be I'll be OK. But, uh, you know, I've, I've been better. I, the, the, the Jets performance on Sunday really made me uh, physically ill. Yeah. You got the one and two flu. Yeah. I got the six pick. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the cure is for that. But hopefully uh, we find it heading into uh, this next weekend. But anyway, any uh, news items you want to discuss before we jump in? You know, I don't really have any news. Uh, I guess, you know, there's a couple uh, election related things that. that oh, boy. Seinfeld. Dave. Yeah, nothing. No, Relax. <laughs> nothing too. Nothing too hot. Um, one of them uh, I'll mention now. It comes up uh, pretty early in the episode. But Amir, our, our listener, Amir spotted. I don't think anyone's ever spotted this before. When uh, Jerry gets on the airplane uh, with the with the box, which ultimately has the doormat in it. Did you notice what airline he's flying? No. Uh, he's flying Trump Air. Trump Air? So is that a yeah. made-up uh, airline, or was there actually, I mean, I know that Trump has his own plane. No, it's a real airline. It, no, it, it was around from about 89 to 92, and then it got bought out. And there was a few different versions of it that eventually were in U.S. Airways. And whatever that started as, it, it only really ended in the last year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Trump, it was only called Trump Air from about 1989 92, but I guess they had stock footage of this Trump plan. So a good catch by Amir. Yeah. And was that, it related uh, to the Donald Trump or it was just like a name? Oh, you know, it, was, it was Trump's uh, airline. It was, you know, he's had many businesses. I guess this is the only one to ever fail. It didn't really work out. Wow. Uh, but um, what was their barbecue you know, sauce it, policy? You were allowed to bring it on the plane? I, you know, clearly they had a very lax policy for uh, for baggage check because mm-hmm. They would, you know, they'd, they'd call the police if you brought that box that Jerry brought on the plane nowadays. Well, certainly. We'll talk about that. We'll, we'll definitely get into that. And the other, um, po- you know, election related thing that I didn't know, this was a news story from a few weeks ago, 
is do you know who Steve Bannon is? Yes. Oh my God! Look at you, Mister Politics himself. Well, I didn't know that. That's like uh, somebody who was like some very. I mean, he is a major player both in the Donald Trump campaign and I believe the creator of the uh, or the person who runs the uh, uh, website Breitbart. Yeah, I think probably Breitbart was the creator of Breitbart. Yes. Although I think he's no longer with us. Um, yeah. So anyway, so I did it. I didn't know this, but he used to work at some sort of hedge fund or some financial institution. Yes. And and when they made the syndication deal for Seinfeld in lieu of like a fee for brokering the deal, he took points on the Seinfeld syndication. Mm-hmm. So Steve Bannon gets, you know, is, is, you know, very wealthy from from these episodes of Seinfeld. Yes, I actually did read that at some point. I think it also came up in this new uh, CAA oral history I listened to an interview with the author of that book with Bill Simmons. And I think that CAA like represented Jerry or Larry or something like that. And they did not get any sort of profit participation in the either Seinfeld syndication deal or the Seinfeld original deal with NBC where they were a part of it, but they don't get any money from Seinfeld syndication. It all goes to Steve Bannon. Look at you, Mr. Uh, information, who, uh, you know, I, I actually heard the podcast, but I shut it off halfway because it was so inside Hollywood baseball that it was like, all right, enough. Hey, well, when you're a Hollywood insider like me, Keith, <laughs> you listen yeah, to you, you hang on Bill Simmons's every word like your Chester. Are you are you team CAA or WMA? WMA. I, I guess I'm team CAA. I feel like they're a bigger, bigger deal, right? Well, I think bigger those are the two big ones. I think it's yeah. CAA versus William Morris. If either Lawrence, of them would so. take a phone call from me, I'd be friends with whoever <laughs> answered the phone for me. What about like some boutique firm that just had, was anyone. like a one guy shop? A- yeah, anyone okay. that answered the phone, I would, uh, I would answer gladly. Did, did, did you ever have some sort of representation like an agent? No, not really. I mean, just like uh, very, very loosely. And, and again, we're going way off topic here. So, uh, no, not not anything ever official. OK. Um, all right. But yeah, but if someone's out there who's an agent, Rob is looking for representation. I'll take I'll take a real estate agent. <laughs> <laughs> anybody, anybody who wants to act in my interest. I'm I'm, I'm on board. But anyway, Kiva, uh, let's get into talking about the doll going back to February 22nd, 1996. It's Gamel and Pross back at it again. Yeah. You know, another thing I, I was looking, do you want to guess when the last time we went under an hour on this podcast is? Oh, I probably well before or maybe like the week before Dan the Benefactor uh, made a very regrettable request. Yeah, I don't remember what week that was, but I, I checked this week and it was... Uh, because we did an hour 22 last week, and that was the shortest podcast uh, in about seven months. Yes. And uh, the last time we went under an hour was like early February of 2015. 2015. Wow. So over a year and a half ago. So do you think do you think we could go under an hour today? <laughs> it's possible. Why? You don't think you have a lot to talk about? No, we have a lot to talk about, but I'm under the weather, and it's not a great episode. Well, you think we could we think we'd do it? Hey, look, we uh, there's plenty of podcasts uh, on my dance card, so I think we can uh, let's 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 give it a shot. All right, it's not going to happen. Probably not going to. No, there's no chance it'll be under an hour. But we could okay. see. We don't have to do. You want to just go straight to the the mailbag? We could probably. probably <laughs> no, 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 no. We got to get into it. Uh, so here's okay. Gamel and Proskiev at the height of their powers. Uh, yeah, there's been a lot. I feel like they they've written the most episodes this season. Yeah, a lot. They're very active. Uh, we see the opening stand-up. I'm surprised that you poo-pooed this stand-up earlier in the podcast because I feel like that this is a, a rather famous Jerry Seinfeld bit. It just seems so like uh, you know basic in in retrospect. I'm sure at the time it was funny. 
I'm sure that it seems basic because it's become iconic. And I think that at the time that Jerry Seinfeld first did this, I'm sure it killed. Oh, yeah. No question. Yeah. He's made it basic. Uh, yeah, I guess that's the goal to make to be so good that it looks basic. Yeah. All right. So Kathy Griffin is here in this episode. Keep. Uh, are you a fan of Kathy Griffin non Seinfeld wise? I, I'm not anti Kathy Griffin. I would never like watch one of her stand up specials. Like if it was, if I turned on the TV and it was on, I would immediately change the channel. Mm-hmm. But you know, she's in a, like a four minute clip as like the second guest on a on like the Tonight Show. She's perfectly fine. She's always fine. She was a good guest on Stern. I mean, I don't think she really does jokes. She mostly just like talks about things that happened or like people she went to go see. I mean, she could also do like talking about the different uh, TV shows. So I find her to be uh, very funny. But her, her comedy, it's like it's almost the opposite of Jerry's stand up. You mean it's non-observational? It's not. Yeah, it's, it's like it's anecdotal. But I mean, there's a lot of comedians that have, uh, you know, had careers that are like that. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a comp for Kathy Griffin. But you're mm-hmm. right. She doesn't like she doesn't ever tell jokes. Mm-hmm. Sure. And so that here's Jerry with Kathy Griffin, really before Kathy Griffin became Kathy Griffin. And she turns out to be Susan's roommate from college. And she is in town. She's in Memphis. And she came out to the show. By the way, my comp for Kathy Griffin is she's like a PG rated Amy Schumer. PG Amy Schumer. OK, I could see it. <laughs> and so that she is back there and uh, she loved the show. And Susan knew that they were going to get along because uh, they're both they're two wackos. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, Kathy Griffin here is a wacko. <laughs> I guess like some people just think of comedians as like, you know, Jerry's just some wacky guy. But Jerry's really the opposite of wacky. Yeah, he's not that wacky. It, This episode to me is really uh, bizarre in that we are sort of like in the midst of like this run where Jerry is like doing a lot of stand up and doing a lot of TV. Like it's almost like his career. It's like it's not a storyline here in season seven, but his career seems to be like taking off where I mean, what was it only two weeks ago that he was he made all this money from the Cadillac. And then also then he's on Jay Leno appearing in New York. And now here he is on the road in Memphis and then appearing on the Charles Grodin show. Doesn't it seem like we have a bunch of episodes in a row here where Jerry's career is really uh, going through the roof? Yeah, I think maybe he he is really, you know, reaching the next level, especially after the Tonight Show. But you're right. We could have a full season where he doesn't do a single stand up gig outside of the opening <laughs> monologue, you yeah. know, and now it's and now it's almost every week. He's he's either on the road or he's on TV. You know, he's uh, he, you're right. He is taken off. He's becoming uh, like an A-list comic. There he is. And so. Sally, a.k.a. Kathy Griffin, she has a rather large box that she wants to give. It is a wedding present for George and Susan. She needs him to take it back with him to go back to New York. Be very careful. I mean, the craziest thing both here and then when Elaine gets, uh, you know, uh, the, the toothbrush later in the episode is that they don't open it, especially these like nosy people who have no regard for other people's privacy. They don't open it and be like, oh, it's much easier if I just carry this, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, doormat and then I'll just put it in a different box when I get home. Like, it's insane that she doesn't check what it is. Right. And for people who are listening to the podcast but did not watch the episode recently, it's a gigantic box, almost like a box that a TV would cut, like one of the old, like, t- like big square cubes that would uh, have a bunch of styrofoam peanuts inside of it. And like a straw doormat, which really an indestructible doormat. Yeah, fun for the kids, by the way. The styrofoam peanuts with the bubble wrap. Mm-hmm. Better, than, better than the actual present 99% of the time. Yeah, okay. 
And Jerry is already pretty annoyed about the idea of having to move uh, this box. Yeah, but I mean, he does it. I, if I was if also, I mean, I don't know how much time Jerry has. I guess he's going straight to the airport. Yeah. But, you know, she works for FedEx. But, you know, if he had any time, then that the move is to sort of ship it. I wonder if airports will ship stuff for you. If is, there's a FedEx in an airport. Mm. Um, that's interesting. Maybe if one of our listeners is familiar with shipping, they could uh, tell us about that. The other thing that goes on in this episode later on is that Jerry buys a toothbrush, an electric toothbrush, the RO Dent for Elaine. And then she has to carry a large box around. And it seems like, okay, thematically in this episode, people are carrying around large boxes, but there's really no tie in between the two things. Like Jerry does not ever realize the irony of that. He's very annoyed. Somebody made him carry a big box around and that he lugs a big box to the Charles Grodin show and then gives it to Elaine backstage to have her carry around. Yeah, nothing ties together. And also Elaine knows that it's a toothbrush. So there's literally no reason. Like at least Jerry's excuse is like maybe it's something breakable. There's no reason to open up the box, yeah. take it out. Elaine knows it's a toothbrush. Jerry sort of tries to justify it by saying like, oh, you know, there's a lot of I don't even know what he says. But for Elaine, it's just take out the dumb toothbrush and throw out the rest <laughs> of the box. Yeah, very good point. All right. So we end up with George and Frank Costanza at the diner. And Frank Costanza has an idea. He wants to turn George's room into a billiard parlor. Yeah, it really comes out of nowhere. And like, is the idea that he's going to start like charging people? No, I don't think so. Because don't you say like, a you know, a pool table? I'm going to put a pool table in your room that like you kind of people have pool tables in their basement all the time, right? Mm -hmm, sure. They don't call their basements, you know, pool, uh, you know, billiard parlors or whatever <laughs> or a pool hall or a pool hall. It's just I have a pool table in my basement. Do you want to come over and play? Yeah. Well, Frank Costanza is a strange cat and uh, he's going to have the regulation table, a hi-fi, maybe even a bar just to give it authenticity. The truth is that is like when you're a kid, that's like one of the cool. That's like one of the ways you could get people to come over to your house. I would love to have if a pool you, table. That would yeah, be a dream come true. Yeah. But do you have anyone to play with? No, no. But I have to wait for my <laughs> kids to get older so that they'll play. That's with right. Me. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. But the pool table's big. Uh, you know, when you're really little, like you'll settle for knock hockey. I used to have like um, the little tykes basketball hoop. Mm -hmm. But then my neighbor who's in my class in school across the street also had one. Yeah. So he'd bring it over and we'd play full court like full, we'd, we'd each invite over a few friends. and We'd have like full court little tykes games. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. That'd be good. Uh, it'll be fun until like my kids like scratch the felt on the table and then I'll be cursing. Right, right. I feel like that. That's very easy. Also, uh, ping pong is underrated. If you have ping pong, it's like, uh, you know, it's easy to invite people to your house. If Either you one. Ping -pong table, I'd be up for pool. it. So, yeah. I mean, the swimming pool is obviously number one. <laughs> Much rather have a pool table than swimming pool. Well, if you're a grown up, sure. if you're a kid, you want the swimming pool. If you're a grown up, it's a lot. You know, it's a lot of work. You got the pool guy. With the pool boy. Yeah. You know, it's especially you were from Long Island. It's closed like eight out of 12 months at least. Mm -hmm. Your pool is useless, you know, for two thirds of the year. Yeah. You're worried that some kid's going to slip in there. You're going to get sued. Terrible. Yeah. Anyway, here comes Elaine. She walks into Monk's and then George is like, hey, Elaine. Oh, come here. Come sit down. Join us. And Elaine is acting like she is not going to be joining George. She's just in the diner for does Elaine just come and eat meals by herself? And we saw her with the poppy seed muffin last week, just sitting and talking to the woman at the counter. Does Elaine do this regularly? Just come in to monks by herself, not necessarily meeting anyone. Yeah, we've seen a bunch of times in season seven 
one member of the gang just randomly walk into the store and, uh, you know, into Monks. And sometimes there's other people there. And it does seem like they're in Monks so much that it's almost like, you know, it's unannounced. Like you just show up and assume that someone from the core four is going to be there. It's like the dining hall. Yeah. It's like the college dining hall, but even right, you walk in, you ever do that, and you walk into the 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 high school dining, you know, cafeteria or the college dining hall, and it's like, hmm, I wonder if any of my friends are there, and it's like, oh, you start walking around like I don't know anybody here. I'm not going to sit by myself. Yeah, I sit with this guy. I sort of know. Mm-hmm. Sure. And so Elaine sits in with George and with Frank, and uh, she wants to know, did George ever show you the photo from Tuscany? And he did not. And so. That Frank is very concerned. It could have been his cousin, Carlo. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I guess Costanza is not a common name in the, in the Seinfeld universe. I feel like it is in real life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, really, I feel like that this is the first time that we've really played up the Italian heritage of the Costanza family. I feel like that this has not been a thing through seven seasons. And now it is where Frank Costanza wasn't even born in America. Yeah, who knew? He was born in Italy. He's ineligible <laughs> He's, he's got his birth certificate. He's ineligible to uh, be president of the United States. Yes. If you did not know okay, that, I mean, does Jerry Stiller play Italian to you at all? No, not at all. <laughs> really? I would have guessed like 12 different things before I got to like, oh, he's Italian. Yeah. If you told me he's like Armenian, I would have believed that. Yeah, like sure. Sure. I definitely would have gotten to that before that he is born in Italy. The name Costanza is Italian, right? It is an Italian name. Yeah, I would think so. If you heard somebody that was a Costanza, you would think that they were Italian. But yeah, but Jerry Stiller certainly does not come across as Italian. No. And the fact that he's born there is mind blowing. Yeah. Now, is Estelle Italian also? What is she? No, we we thought she's Jewish. She's probably from the old country. She's probably from like somewhere in Eastern Europe or something. Yeah, we don't know. We got to find out what her maiden name is. That's right. Oh, that's a good question for Jerry and Larry. Yeah, <laughs> that's an, that's an easy one. What's Estelle's maiden name? Yeah, that's uh, you know, maybe we could even get one of the actors to uh, maybe Jason Alexander might be able to help us with that. Oh, no question. Yeah. yeah. All right. So that he's all set off that he is uh, wants to know about Cousin Carlo. George is really shooting it down. He's saying that no way it's not Cousin Carlo. There's a million Costanzas. Right. And it's not even like he was necessarily from Tuscany. Right. He's just from Italy. Mm -hmm. So what happened to the photo that Elaine had that it was that the maestro had all the copies? Very unclear. Yes. Okay, But the maestro, he may have a copy of the photo if they could only get it back. But she's uncomfortable dealing with the maestro because she spilled wine on his eight by ten photo of one of his favorite Italian opera stars. Now, in the uh, Elaine and the Maestro uh, from I, it was the episode was called the Maestro, right? Correct. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Um, I remember at the end of that, Jerry and Kramer showed up, but we didn't see what the breakup was. But didn't we hear about the breakup after the fact? I feel like that this is now revisionist history. I think it is. I think it was a little more uh, negative than she's making it seem here. And also like she's OK. So Elaine asked George, did you ever show your dad the picture? Implying that George had, uh, you know, the actual physical picture. In his hands. Yeah. And he doesn't know what he's talking about. So I guess George lost the picture or mm-hmm. Elaine like thought she gave it to George and lost it herself. Mm-hmm. It's really unclear. Yeah. Anyway, so she is uncomfortable with that because uh, the maestro really loves one of the three tenors. Uh, the other guy. Keith, is that a thing? I am not familiar enough to know the three tenors and know whether nobody knows who it is, whether it's sort of like uh, Destiny's Child, where it's like Kelly Rowland, Beyonce and the other one. 
who's the other one? Michelle Williams? I guess so. Um, oh, no, well, here's the thing. I don't know anything about the three tenors, but you know, you know Pavarotti, right? He's super famous. Sure. And Placido Domingo is famous. Mm-hmm. But Jose Carreras is not famous. Mm-hmm. So I guess it is a thing. Now, does he play himself in this episode? No, it's not Jose Carreras. And it's a weird, like, 90s sitcom thing. Or, you know, like, like similar like they do with George Steinberg, except they show like a lot of his face when he leaves the room. Yeah. But it's not him. It's not him. All right. So we go back to Jerry on the plane. He's got the big box that he cannot keep it on his lap. Now, first off, Keeve, that again, yeah. pre 9-11 world. But could you carry on an item this large? Even in a pre 9-11 world, I, I, did 9-11 affect carry on items in terms of the size you were allowed to bring on the plane? I don't think it did. I think it was more that the airlines realized like they were losing a lot of money. Oh, it may have. I think the airlines all lost so much money on 9-11. So it's less of a security thing than it was a financial decision to to start charging like Spirit Airlines style. Like, you know, one thing at a time, you know, go no frills. And and, you know, to the point in like the last five, seven years where they started charging for check, carry on bags and, and, and mm-hmm. checking luggage and. But so it is definitely connected to 9-11, but not in a security sense, more in a financial sense. OK, um, but I think to answer your question in the mid 90s, I'm, you know, I would never have like been responsible for bringing something huge on an airplane. I, I they probably had rules like if it wasn't a full flight, maybe they would have let you just put a box on the seat next to you. I'm not sure. Yeah, I have to feel like that it had to always be a thing that you could only bring a certain size item on as your carry on. Like, I don't think that you could have brought like a full suitcase on as your carry on item in 1996. But I also remember like bringing huge things. And also depending on the airline, like my dad showed up here the other day with like four carry ons. And I'm like, they didn't say anything. And they're like enormous. Mm-hmm. He's like, nah. Okay. Um, so it depends on the airline. But yeah, if anybody like was a pilot or a flight attendant or just was a little older than us and maybe flew frequently in the 90s i would be curious like what the rules were then okay so jerry is carrying a bottle of barbecue sauce in his bag the stewardess ends up taking his like gym bag and like shoving it up in the top and you hear very audibly the loud breaking of glass from the barbecue sauce now lots of questions here about this keeve uh number one post 9-11 world uh barbecue sauce in a carry-on over three ounces uh strictly forbidden correct is that a liquid? Is barbecue sauce a liquid? It's oh, like I think so it's thick. a liquid. I mean, yeah, what's the difference right. in viscosity between barbecue sauce and shampoo? Oh, barbecue sauce is viscous, baby. <laughs> is it viscous? I don't know. I don't know if it's viscous. <laughs> I think it's about the same. I mean, it's it's it's, it's it can't be more viscous than conditioner. Uh, it can't be more viscous than conditioner. Yeah, I guess not. Yeah, conditioner's thick, baby. Yeah, but barbecue, I mean, it depends on your barbecue sauce. There could, be, there could be chunks in there. What about peanut butter? Could you bring peanut butter on an airplane? Yeah, peanut butter is not a liquid. Yeah, peanut butter is not a liquid, but it gets, you know, if you don't stir it, it could be. Oh, it depends on the peanut butter. Could you bring a big jar of Skippy in a carry-on? I'm, I'm Googling that as we talk. But also, I, you know, I don't, uh, no, not while pregnant. Also, like, I don't, <laughs> I'm surprised, I'm surprised, like, all peanut products aren't banned from all, all airlines. Sometimes, yeah, I was on a Delta flight recently, and I was like, hey, I thought they don't give up peanuts? And I guess that there was somebody with a reported peanut allergy. No peanuts for anybody on the whole plane. Yeah, you know, I'm hearing more and more that my mom has a nursery school, and, like, I can see, like, from the corner of, like, her office, there's, like, in the back on the wall, there's, like, everyone's, like, EpiPens or, yep. you know. And They're when expensive. I first, like, used to go visit the, that's what I hear. <laughs> But um, that when I first used to go visit, there would be like one on the wall. And now there's like 55. 
Mm-hmm. There's a you lot. Know, everyone's got these insane allergies. In LA, you're probably like, you know, it's going to be like a peanut-free city soon, probably. <laughs> probably. Yeah, get them while you can. Yeah, go to a baseball game, peanut shells everywhere. But I think these, the people who are airborne allergic, meaning they can't even be in the same room as peanuts. They can't even go to a baseball game. You basically can't go to, you know, no peanuts or They got to be like the bubble boy to go to the baseball game. It's probably, yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, you maybe have to call up like the Wilpons the week before and be like, hey, can we get a peanut free? They probably have like peanut free. Do they have a know, peanut free zone on a baseball game? Or like a peanut free day. They got a peanut like free box. Yeah, like a peanut free like heritage day where all the, all the peanut <laughs> people can show up. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I'd like to know that. <laughs> so you're allowed, you can carry, a, oh, so peanut butter it counts as like, uh, as uh, a spread, as a, as a, uh, as a liquid that's insane oh so you can't even bring the peanut butter on the airplane can't bring the peanut butter according to uh the kitchen.com oh boy terrible uh you know who, who what knew? about chunky I mean, chunky peanut butter i don't it doesn't specify it doesn't like differentiate between the peanut butters i pulled the biggest bonehead move when i was on a plane like a month ago what's that where i was i was, I was out all day and i was i was like super thirsty and my daughter and i we went to like the the like the supermarket when you walk in the airplane when you walk in the airport and they didn't have like the half liter sodas. They only had like a two liter bottle of soda. Two liter bottle of soda at the airport? Yeah, two liter bottle of soda. It was in the airport in Paris or a okay. liter and a half. In yeah. Europe, I think, is a liter and a half. And I want to diet. I don't drink, you know, regular. And my daughter doesn't drink diet. So I bought like her a Coke and me like a Coke Zero. And then I realized like, oh, shoot, we're literally going through security this second. Mm-hmm. So I had like. You know, I spent like eight dollars on each bottle of soda, probably at the airport. And like I had, and I was so thirsty, I had like twenty seconds to, to like guzzle the entire liter and a half bottle of soda. Mm-hmm. And I did it. I finished it. I was yeah. like, the guy's like, all right, one more. And I I finished it before we got on the plane. But what a bonehead move by me to to buy the soda before you go, you know, right through that uh, security thing. Yeah. And then how was that sitting on an airplane after drinking two liters of Coke Zero? Well, I fade Like I will go. I will not go. I've bragged about this before on the podcast. Yes. But, like, uh, if I'm on like a 12 hour flight, I'll go to the bathroom once. I'll have to pee one time. Um, if I'm on a six hour less flight, I will probably never go to the bathroom on a flight. I'll so go right before the plane. Then that seems to go against that. The idea of chugging two liters of Coke Zero before you get on the airplane. Well, that was a one time thing, but it was still like an hour and a half before the flight. So I had time to go to the bathroom okay. and, <laughs> and, then, and like you get out of my system before the flight. But accelerate I, you know, the system. Yeah, totally. But okay. and I and I bought a second one because I was still so thirsty that like once we got through, I went to like the store on the you know the other How side. How thirsty of could you be? We were in we were in the Paris heat. It was it was August. It was like a hundred degrees outside, Celsius, mm-hmm. and the and I I didn't have a drink all day, and you know I was really thirsty. Okay. I've never been that thirsty in my whole life. Yes, and the Coke Zero <laughs> fixed it. Yeah, it quenches your thirst. <laughs> All right. So uh, after through the airplane, uh, we end up with Jerry back at his apartment and he's going through the duffel bag and the barbecue sauce has been broken. It's terrible. Kramer's going to try to still salvage some sauce that he is going and taking like a, some white bread and trying to dab up the sauce that's in Jerry's clothes. Uh, no fear of broken glass on the tongue for Kramer. The, the broken glass thing really bothers me because if they're trying to make Sally out to be this deplorable person. Why? Why hey, didn't don't, they, don't say deplorable. <laughs> she's the Pepe the Frog of, uh, of people. <laughs> why didn't why, why didn't she? Why didn't the barbecue sauce ruin everything in his bag? Like that would have been such an easy thing to make Jerry like really furious with her. Yeah, it seemed like it was pretty self-contained. It seemed like really like one shirt had the barbecue sauce on it. Maybe yeah, it was a if, slowly. Like, if barbecue, I mean, if if barbecue sauce explodes in your suitcase, your whole suitcase is getting ruined. 
Unless it's in like, you know, quadruple bagged or something. Maybe it was very viscous. What would the viscosity have to do with the other? What, because if there's no viscous, viscosity, then like it would the be viscous. it would be dripping on his head during the flight. You know, if it of, was, is it a solid? What, what kind of barbecue sauce do you have? On it depends. There? Was there honey in it? Is there honey in it? If it's sticky, it'll stay. It'll stay together more. It's still like on the course of a of a two hour flight. Where is he flying from Memphis? Yeah. To, you know, it's going to ruin everything in your bag. Not necessarily. Not if it's a very thick barbecue sauce. I, so like peanut butter might not ruin everything if that opened. Right. Peanut butter Pe- wouldn't ruin everything in your bag. But barbecue sauce moves. <laughs> peanut butter doesn't move. It depends on how, th- how thick it is. If you have one of these There's bar- no honey barbecue, barbecue sauce, sauce. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to do this. With like Does it have molasses in it? If it has molasses in it, maybe. Oh if boy. it's molasses honey barbecue. Now you're just making me sicker with this argument. <laughs> it's possible. It was a tiny bottle. It was also, it was, it was little. It was almost like a little bottle like of hot sauce. It was like bizarre that there would be a bottle of barbecue sauce so small. And why, didn't, why put it in the bag? Like, I, I don't get that. I, when I was like eight, I remember them saying like, we're going to camp. You know, take put your shampoo your barbecue in like a totally sauce. pocket. Yeah. <laughs> there were kids. That was weird. Like, you'd go to uh, summer camp, and there would be kids with, like, not barbecue sauce, but they'd have, like, Mrs. Dash. You know, Mrs. Dash or, like, uh, <laughs> like there would be, like, these eight-year-olds who'd, like, show up, like, hey, you want some, like, they'd have some sort of, Is that like, a kosher condiment. thing where they had to bring stuff? No, it, no, it was just, like, certain kids are, are very, like, like, I'm dumb. I still wouldn't, like, know, think to bring that now. But some some of these kids were very like precocious and they'd like they had a lot of opinions about food when they were eight and they would bring like, you know, <laughs> food they really like with me. It's like, all right, what are we having today? I don't care. I'll just shove it in my face. All right. So the problem here is that, as we mentioned, that Jerry was going to bring the bottle of barbecue sauce to Charles Grodin because it looked exactly like Charles Grodin. So I guess that Jerry was supposed to be expected to tell some jokes. And maybe this speaks to why Jerry had to tell the Uncle Leo is anti-Semitic or thinks everybody's anti-Semitic on Jay Leno, that he basically can only pull things exactly from his life as they happen. Or maybe that went over so well he needed to have like, oh, look at this. I was in the airport, Charles, and I saw this barbecue sauce. It looks exactly like you. Can we get a close up of this? Well, two things. First of all, um, uh, my childhood friend Andrew wrote in and said that because um, last week we were talking about how Jay Leno, uh, like Jerry casually mentions like, oh, the Tonight Show's in New York. And you said that was weird. And I'm like, nah, it's not weird. It's like Fallon goes to L.A. or Kimmel comes to Brooklyn and Conan goes to Chicago. Like he probably just once a year went to New York. But my friend Andrew, for some reason, loves Jay Leno. Mm-hmm. And he knew off the top of his head, Jay Leno never flew to New York once. Because he didn't want to be viewed as like stepping on Letterman's toes. Oh, by the way, did Chester ever watch all of season one of The Tonight Show? I had to do that. Don't, don't remind him. <laughs> Delete that, guys. Yeah. <laughs> no, you that's can keep the, that in. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. <laughs> well, he. I mean, he had to watch the whole first season of The Genius the show in Korean. So <laughs> Lots of people do that. Lots of people do that. Yes, yes. But he also didn't do it. <laughs> So I, th- I feel like that deal was even. Yes, that uh, just to reset that that uh, that Keeve and uh, frequent emailer Chester uh, had a uh, some sort of a what you did, you guys did a podcast where you had to each assign each other one season of TV to watch, and he assigned you to watch the first season of the Jay Leno Tonight Show. Yes, the, we each ranked our hundred favorite shows of all time. And <laughs> but aren't the there like a hundred fifty episodes in the first season of the Jay Leno Tonight Show? Sure, but he said, I, 
<laughs> he said I could only watch like 20 and I could be I could be, uh, you know, out of my I could only find the problem is they're so hard to find. Like I could find bits and pieces. Like yeah, nobody has you know, that. <laughs> like I, I found one like Keanu Reeves is like the fourth guest on The Tonight Show in like 1993. But it's hard. Yeah, they're hard to find. Like I, I can only imagine if I like, called up NBC and be like, I'm looking for old episodes of The Tonight Show. Yeah, they would just hang up. up <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> if you got that far. Anyway, so now Jerry is very upset because uh, the, now he has nothing to talk about. And, you know, the frequent question people ask him is like, why don't you do your material? And Jerry says, I'm out. I'm out of material. This is why Char- this is why Jimmy Fallon just plays like beer pong with everyone. <laughs> He's out of material because everyone's out of material. He assumes people come on. They got nothing. And so they like jump in a phone booth and play some stupid, you know, college game. Yeah. All right, so here comes George, and uh, he has a gift. The Jerry has the gift from Sally, and so George opens it up, and it is a big box with a doormat. <laughs> is this a wedding gift or is this an engagement gift? Because she says so wedding gift. She says wedding. It's got to. It's got to be engagement because if you gave me a doormat as an engagement gift, I'd say with my name on it, I'd say that's a nice gift. Like you don't have to give an engagement gift to everyone, right? No. But if you gave me a doormat as my wedding gift, unless it was like gold, I would be like, oh, this person, like, I feel bad that they're homeless, you know? Because so if somebody doesn't give you a gold doormat, you feel like they're homeless? <laughs> well, just don't give me a doormat. <laughs> I think there's a certain point. Uh, we can say this for the end because someone does ask us, what's the worst wedding gift we've ever gotten? I think. Okay, yeah. Um, but there is a point where it's better to not give a gift than to give a really bad gift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At, like if you're going to give like a real like, OK, there you could be like a college student or you could be between jobs and you could be like, you know, hard up on money. I understand. I think at a certain point it like, you know, give something thoughtful that doesn't cost money. But I do think that there's a point where it's like don't give like twelve dollars and fifty four cents. You know, <laughs> better yeah. to give nothing. All right. So Kramer wants to know, uh, hey, Jerry, why don't you do a bit on styrofoam? And Kramer pitches Jerry on like, hey, uh, what is this stuff? Uh, why do we need this stuff? And uh, why do they make it so small? And I do like this part. And I like the, the faces that Kramer is making as he's trying to do a Jerry bit. Yeah, I enjoy uh, J- Kramer doing Jerry Seinfeld stand up. <laughs> yeah. So Jerry is incensed at this point that he realizes that he lugged up a doormat from Memphis and he also had to break his uh, bottle of barbecue sauce. And George says, yeah, this is pretty chintzy considering the money she makes. She's a big executive for Federal Express. And now Jerry is doubly mad because uh, that he finds out that she works for a shipping company. Do you think they get free shipping? I think there's probably some sort of employee discount. It would be discount. worth working for FedEx because like, there's so many things. Like I would love to like sell stuff in my room, like my childhood room. Like I have this like Knicks poster I got from my Mitzvah. It's not a poster. It's like a painting. And it's signed by like, the whole the 1973 championship team. So it has like Phil Jackson and, well, you know, it's probably worth like 500 bucks or something. But I, and I hate the Knicks. So I like, I just want to get rid of it and I'd be happy to sell it. But I don't like, I don't know how to like box it up or ship it or, you know, you know what I mean? I feel like that maybe the eBay store could help you. Yeah, but I'm too lazy to even take it off the wall. Like my problem is ultimately. Well, I don't think there's like- anybody that's going to come <laughs> into your childhood bedroom and then sell your stuff. I mean, unless, you know, it was some sort of like, uh, you know, God forbid, like uh, that, you know, the uh, they just have to liquidate everything like the repo man would come and do that. Yeah, I need someone to like come in and, and <laughs> repossess and everything. Not like repossess, just like I'll pay you like half. Just get rid of this junk for me. <laughs> but in general, like I never ship anything. Uh, like I'll, I won't even send a letter. Like I never have stamps, you know, I'll, I'll never, but if I worked, if I worked at FedEx, I would just be sending stuff all day if it was free. Yeah. I don't think it's free. 
Pretty sure. Really, it's not if free. you're an executive, they don't. You do they get an employee discount at least? I mean, it's, it's probably not supposed to be free. I'm not saying that there's not any sort of like uh, you know backroom dealings, any sort of these uh, fat cat executives that take in perks, but can't imagine it's supposed to be free. Why not? I mean, if you work at McDonald's, you get free food. Why not FedEx? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. You get free food at McDonald's? Oh, I don't know. I, I've never been to McDonald's. I have no idea. I can't imagine they just like you work at McDonald's. They say, hey, help yourself. Whatever you want. I feel like you get like a burger every hour or something like that. You don't that. get a burger every hour. <laughs> <laughs> every hour on the hour. They won't take a break and they get one burger. Yeah, they pay you in burgers. They pay you in burgers. Yeah. I'm sure we will get some email on this that I don't I don't believe they just tell you, you know, you can have whatever whatever you want. Yeah. If you work in the service industry, let us know what you're allowed to do with your product. Right. OK, so that George gets the idea of, you know, giving the thing to the doormat to his father and uh, that, you know, he might be interested in it. But George says, no, he's putting a pool table in the old bedroom. And Kramer says, oh, OK, maybe I'll go there and knock some balls around with him, you know, show him a thing or two. Now, don't you think this would be like incredibly weird? I, I know that the Seinfeld universe is very incestuous. But do you have a friend that if you told them that your dad was putting in a pool table, that they would be like, oh, let me go over and uh, show uh, Mr. Winokur a thing or two on the pool table? It's Rabbi Winokur to you. Oh, yes. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's okay. Uh, the the um, I don't I, you know I don't know. I I always had like one friend or two friends who would be like friends with my dad or friends with my mom who would like would you know would like call them and say happy birthday or something like that. Not, but they wouldn't like come over and hang with them. Mm-hmm. I do have I do have like one friend who will go with my father and my grandfather to the jet games, like just him by himself with my with my father and my grandfather. Wow. So I feel like you know if they played pool, he might play pool with them like that. But that's usually like. The Kramer of the group. That's why it's okay if Kramer does it, but most people wouldn't do it. Okay. All right. So we now see Frank Costanza and Kramer, and uh, they're going to work on some games. And Frank asks Kramer, uh, do you like to gamble? And uh, so they end up sort of gambling $5 a game. Now, didn't we establish a couple seasons back that Kramer is a compulsive gambler and any sort of gambling will completely set him off? It doesn't make any sense. They like it's acknowledged maybe for a third of a second where Frank says, like, do gamble or something like that. And Kramer, like, does get a look in his eye, but it's not really broached past that. Uh, And again, there's and and it's not really a plot like many things in this episode. Like it could go somewhere, but it doesn't Mm -hmm. because they never even finished the first game. So at most, Kramer loses five bucks. Just a lot of physical comedy of that. They're in a very small bedroom and the pool cues are not doing anything. They keep like uh, backing into uh, the walls. Have you done that, Keith? Have you been in that situation? Have I broken a wall with a pool cue? Yes. Uh, No, I feel like I've scratched some felt in my day, but I don't think I've ever broken a wall. I mean, usually like the people who have the billiards tables or the people who have like the big open basements, you know? Yeah, yeah, sure. It's not, I've never played billiards in a a bedroom before. (laughs) That's not a euphemism. Uh, no, I've, I mean, even if it is, I, I've still never done that. <laughs> I, I may or may not have played billiards in a bedroom uh, before. Anyways, let's go to George and Susan, where Susan has mounted shelves. Did you, were the shelves there that she has put her doll collection on? Or did she put up the shelves, Keith? I think the shelves were not there because didn't we have like a thing with with like uh, George sleeping on that side of the bed? And like, I don't think there was a bedboard there. So that's pretty impressive for Susan that she's uh, mounted shelves on the wall. Listen, she's got nothing to do as far as we know. <laughs> very she's not handy. working. Yeah. Yeah, she is handy. <laughs> OK. All right. So George says this doll looks like my mother. I mean, the, I, I have to give props here to the you know art department or whoever did this. They nailed the it. Doll is is 
amazing. Like they really made it like I don't think they found this doll. They there's no inside look for this episode, but I, they must have made this doll, which looks exactly like Estelle. Yeah, very good. So cut to Estelle coming up to uh, Frank and Kramer's uh, pool game. And Estelle is uh, furious at this point. You've been up here three hours. Yeah, a lot of whining from Estelle. <laughs> Yeah, she's not happy. And Frank reveals that uh, we still haven't finished the first game. I don't think they sunk one ball either on the table. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. I don't know if it's like every time they get they get one ball down, they have some sort of like rule. Like, no, 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 no that didn't count. That didn't count. But it's it's you know it's hard to it's hard to really. Uh, I mean, Kramer makes it seem like he's an expert. That he's going to come over and teach Frank stuff, but I, I guess he's not so good. He's not well, not so good with those angles. He, he's better once he ends up with the uh, maestro's baton. It's a pretty small bedroom, if you think about it, to not be able to fit a billiard room like around. Yeah, maybe a regulation table wasn't the way to go for Frank Costanza. Yeah, get the kids table. <laughs> that might have been better. So uh, Kramer knows the maestro, and so he is going to be able to access this photo. Estelle is confident it's not your cousin either. Um, yeah, I mean, she's got no way of knowing, but I guess it's just, it's too improbable for it to be his cousin. Mm -hmm. And then Kramer ends up breaking the window. Really no fallout from Kramer breaking the window in February in uh, Frank and Estelle's house. No, they just keep playing. <laughs> they just keep going. All right. So we go back to, uh, George and Susan and, uh, Susan appears to be initiating some activity here, but George ends up stopping uh, and says that, no, we can't have this doll in the bed. I mean, is it like I, I, there can't be many, you know, married women in their 30s who still sleep with like multiple dolls in their bed? Well, the doll thing is so bizarre where it's that she's almost like saying like, oh, I got a shelf for my dolls. Like, did she go into were these dolls in storage? I feel like you sort of like either sleep with the doll or you don't. It seems weird to be like a 35 year old woman and then you know, bring a doll back into the bed that you had as a child. Right. Like what, right. What were they doing? I know we know they weren't like at in the, you know, the cabin or they would have burned down, but like, were they in her parents' house mm -hmm. and she's like just getting around to bring them months and months later. Did she sleep with the doll prior to dating George? And then she sort of ditched the doll, but George, I'm sure he would have had a sleepover with Susan sometime around the first go round. Maybe it's like, uh, you know, Hey, the first few months you're dating someone, don't let them know that you're like a person who sleeps in the bed with dolls. Mm -hmm. And then now like she's comfortable in the relationship. They're about to get married. Now she could bust out this big secret that she sleeps in a bed with dolls. We've also established that Susan is a person who is not well, and it's very possible that she could be regressing at this point. Totally. Yes. She's <laughs> uh, <laughs> literally weeks from her demise. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, things are not going well. And uh, for George, uh, it's very disconcerting that he feels like he's in bed with his mother. Right. Well, I mean, I guess he wouldn't care if the other dolls were there. It's just this doll that just bothers that him. Doll. But I would yeah. be bothered by any doll. Any doll. Anyway, so Jerry is back in his apartment with Elaine. And again, Jerry gets like this bizarre fetish about the electric toothbrush, the Orident. Yeah, he does have like the oral fixation on the toothbrush here. Yeah. And so... He says, every time you do it, you feel like you just came from the dentist. Now, hopefully that's not like a Tim Watley type dentist because Jerry did not feel that great the last time he came from the dentist. Yeah, that's a that's an amazing toothbrush, if so. <laughs> yeah. All right. So now, Jerry, once again, asks Elaine, do you want to come see me do the Charles Grodin show? And we saw that Elaine wasn't really that thrilled to go see Jay Leno, but uh, she is uh, not really thrilled to go see Charles Grodin either. And it's not clear. Like, she just leaves the second, like, later in the episode when he gives her the... Um doesn't stay, right? He, 
she doesn't stay for the show. She just she goes shows up to the green room. Like it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. Now, amazing coincidence that the one of the three tenors uh, that not Pavarotti, not Domingo, he is going to be the other guest. Do you feel like that was this too much of a coincidence, Keith, that we just we brought this guy up in one scene and just coincidentally he happens to be the other guest on the Charles Grodin show? Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's such a thing as a big coincidence, but this is pretty amazing. coincidence. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it was not artfully done in terms of the coincidences on this show. I and mean, what is she just supposed to like run into him on the street in New York? Is that more realistic? I mean, I think that that would probably be a little bit more realistic, sort of like a la John Voight, just sort of like happenstance as opposed to like knowing where he's going to be at a certain point in time. But what are you going to do? Well, I don't want him to pick this too much. Look at look at Jerry going on before the third tenor, though. Yeah, he's he's moving up in the world. And so Elaine is ecstatic because the photograph, the eight by ten, she ruined for the maestro was that it belonged to this guy. Uh, Jerry, I feel like missed some opportunities. He had a lot of disdain for the maestro the first time around. Uh, it doesn't like, oh, you mean Bob? He he he's dropped that. Yeah, he, uh, the maestro for some reason is slightly more likable in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I do. They should call him Bob Cobb. I, I think he, <laughs> he doesn't deserve the name the maestro. Yeah, Jerry's given up on that. Anyway, so here comes George. He comes in. And I do like this scene where George comes in and Jerry says, you look awful. George says, I'm on no sleep, bro. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you know, I, do you think that's like uh, something he'd say like nowadays? I mean, you know, yeah. there wasn't a lot of bro going around. Well, there minutes. was the bro in the man's ear. So we did have that established, but it doesn't happen very often. I mean, I, I could see Kramer calling somebody a bro throughout Seinfeld, but it does seem like this is the first time that George refers to somebody as a bro. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I'm on no sleep, bro. Suddenly he's like Joe Beningo. Uh, that You did sound a lot like Joe Beningo just there. <laughs> it's one of the uh, hacky impressions that I do. Anyway, yeah, so, it, it doesn't come into play a lot. I've literally never heard you it, do it It's before. basically only comes up <laughs> when I'm on the phone talking to my brother. That's basically okay. uh, okay. Very, lot, it's very useful. I a lot of Beningo like talk. Five thousand podcasts. You've never busted that one. Out <laughs> I've never had a reason to. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, the pain, bro. Anyway, so George is talking with Jerry about the bad night that he had, and you know it's interesting that they describe problems in the bedroom, but we don't actually ever describe them. Uh, it's uh, I'm, what I'd like to know, Keeve. Have we revisited the problems from the mango here? I don't think so. Okay. All right. It's not. I think, I think it's. I think it's doll related problems. It, no? It's not. But is it, was there a failure to perform due to doll based anxiety? Oh, uh, that's possible. That is possible. It's possible. He. I mean, he seems very upset, but we don't really get the details other than he couldn't sleep. Maybe it was just that he was so scared. But he was. He was so scared that he couldn't sleep. I can't imagine that he was able to perform. Right, but I think that may have ended pretty quickly, and now and it's mostly sleep. Okay, so that. now then, <laughs> then he was just really distracted in the whole night. Yeah. Okay. So hey, guess what? Uh, Sally's coming up to New York. Uh, yeah. What an amazing. Uh, you know, <laughs> really? Well, just, I mean, wh- is she coming just to see Jerry? No, I don't know what she was coming up for. Uh, that's so she's coming to New York. I don't know if she's. Uh, they don't really give an, a reason why she's coming to see. There's so many. I don't <laughs> think there's an episode with as many like not. not I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is. I can't remember one. There's so many like loose plot holes or mm-hmm. like they don't even attempt to. Not that the Sally thing is a, is a major one. But yeah. All right. So George suggests, hey, why don't you just call her, get her to bring you up new barbecue sauce? Yeah, not a bad idea. And Jerry says, oh, good. I'll tell her to bring me a whole box and then she'll have to sit with it on her lap. It's so mean, Jerry. Yeah. 
And Elaine calls him out as being pretty juvenile. And then we have Jerry like pulling out a like a toy from a box of cereal. Like, ooh, a dinosaur. Yeah. Do they still have uh, toys in cereal boxes? I think that they must, but I, I don't think it's uh, as prominent. Yeah, it was like a big thing when we were kids. Or you'd send away. I was always too lazy, similar to the FedEx thing. Yeah. It's like send away for anything. Yeah, my kids don't know about that because my wife just gives them organic cereal and they don't know that that's a oh thing Oh, my yet. God. Yeah. Oh, they're going to rebel so much when they're when they're older. <laughs> the, second, the second they go to college, it's going to be all tricks and golden grams, baby. <laughs> all right. So... Uh, Frank and Kramer have arranged a meeting with the maestro and they're talking about the photos. I do like that Frank and Kramer are trying to search for uh, what is the name of the billiard, the billiard parlor. And uh, they're trying to remember what it is. And it's called the place to be. <laughs> yeah. What a strange scene. Uh, that always stayed in. with me. I always, <laughs> I always, I never forget that line of uh, like uh, it's called the place to be. It is a great name. The place to be is a great name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I think the name of the episode should be the place to be. <laughs> That's good. And so uh, Maestro says, "Okay, no problem. I'll find that photo." And so Maestro stands up, and he is not wearing pants. And he reveals an old conductor's trick I learned from Leonard Bernstein. Yeah, I mean, you could really work this for almost anybody, right? Work this for almost anybody. Now, here is my question for you, Keeve. How did Kramer and Frank begin this meeting with the maestro and not be aware that the maestro is not wearing pants? Okay, this is the maestro seated at a desk. Did the maestro not stand to greet Frank and Kramer? Is it possible that he's sitting at his desk? They knock. Who is it? It's Frank and Kramer. Come on in. He's sitting at his desk. He's writing something down in his notebook of maestro stuff and he just shakes their hand while sort of sitting or leaning up a little bit and they don't notice he's not wearing pants Mm -hmm. yeah it's possible it's possible so uh the maestro here i do feel like i agree with you he's held in much higher regard here in this episode than the first outing where people are just constantly mocking him and also mocking the orchestras that he conducts do you notice how small the venue is that he plays at the end of the episode intimate Intimate venue. It's like there's like 30 old men. He's like playing a nursing home. <laughs> That's certainly possible. All right. So we go back to George and Jerry and uh, George is holding up the doll for Jerry and says, see, look, it looks exactly like her. Yeah. I mean, everyone sees it except for Susan. I mean, it looks exactly like. her. Yeah. So Jerry does claim later on that he did see it. He just wanted that doll out of the house. Do you feel like that that's the case here, that Jerry does think she looks like Estelle? He just wants to be done with this doll business. Yeah, I don't think he wants to deal with it. Yeah. And so he ends up upsetting George. Jerry says to him, like, hey, where are you going? Don't take your dolly and go home. Yeah. And and is that then when uh, Elaine yells in the hallway? <laughs> yeah. Okay, did you see how creepy that thing is? Yeah. All right. So Elaine has a poster of the tenors. She and she's ready to go. And uh, Sally is going to come up with the barbecue sauce. And Jerry says, hey, did you buy the electric toothbrush I told you about? And Elaine did not. I mean, he's so obsessed with it. You know, you'd think that there would be more of of a, uh, you know, a payoff there also. Yeah, it's really nice. I don't understand. Like, if I told you something was better, then why wouldn't you get it? It's not a little bit better. I've had yours. This is much better. What if, like, Jerry goes on Grodin with the toothbrush and bombs doing, like, electric toothbrush material? (laughs) That that would be something, at least. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Talking about how... Because, again, we never... We don't see the Grodin appearance. It's insane. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a big deal. And we, there's just no, just no payoff to it. But I, you know, I, I can relate to Jerry 
in terms of like, I do feel like that there was going to be something like where I tell my wife something is better and she won't try it. And no matter like how hard I tell her that it will be better if she does this thing, she is, is like almost like despite me will not try that thing. I, yeah, I have that all the time. I'll tell someone to watch a movie or a show. And a few months later, I'm like, hey, did you see that? And they'll be like, nah. And it happens with Doughboys. Anyone who doesn't watch Doughboys is like on my bad list. And I'm, I'm always like, have you listened to Doughboys? And it's always like, I listen to one episode, whatever. It's not so great. And that, they're wrong. Or <laughs> like they never even get around to listening to it. Yeah. Okay. Well, you can put me in that second camp. You'll get it. You'll like, I'll bother you enough, but I'll wait till you're like okay. less busy season. And then I'll tell you. To Just make it. me the kid with the bottle of Mrs. Dash and right in there in that second camp. Would you would you like bring your own condiments to camp? I don't I can't see you doing that. No, I think we talked about this when Jerry brought syrup to the, the restaurant. But now also like now there's like a lot of rich kids who will bring up. Like my mom dries up to the summer camp every week because my dad works there and she just goes up for the weekends. Mm hmm. And like people leave because there's a lot of people from our neighborhood go to this camp. People just like leave by her door like filet mignon, like bring this up to little Johnny for the weekend. Like, you know, this is for him and his bunk. Like you wouldn't believe what people send up now. Kids are very spoiled. Okay, yeah, that's true. All right. So here comes Sally and she's got a box of barbecue sauce. So here you go. It's the pride of Memphis. And Jerry is very upset. He didn't want that one. He wants the one with the Charles Grodin bottle. And she says, this is better because uh, trust me. Uh, in Memphis, uh, we think of that other sauce as a joke. In Memphis, they are incredibly serious about their barbecue, and I'm sure as an extension, their barbecue sauce. Mm -hmm. So I believe that. And again, she's like, why don't you do your material? And Jerry says he doesn't have any material. And Elaine even like piles on. He's got nothing. Yeah. By the way, have you ever had like uh, Memphis or Texas barbecue? No. Like, I at least have an excuse. Like, I, what, what are you doing? What are you living for? Why, why don't you go? What should I be getting on a, a flight to go uh, to some uh, Texas barbecue place? Yeah. Go to Austin or, or wherever. Yeah. You know, with, get you're, some, I guess uh, you're right. I have nothing else to do except to go <laughs> travel to uh, diners, dives and whatever. <laughs> well, this is now you're busy. You yeah. should have done this all in your late 20s, early 30s. Now you actually have stuff going on. There is a pretty it's good like, barbecue place that's around the corner for me. In L.A., uh, it's not the same. It's not the same. How do you know where they're from? Well, it's in L.A. It's, it can't be. It can't be as good. Somebody as can't the, be a good barbecue person and go on the road. I mean, it has to be native to its own land, I think. Okay. Like the best L.A. barbecue still wouldn't like hold up in Memphis or Texas. I can't imagine. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so then after we get through the uh, barbecue saucina, uh, we end up seeing George at the diner with the doll. And he's having a whole conversation with the doll who now uh, speaks uh, with sort of like does a voiceover as Estelle. Don't eat so fast. Don't eat with your hands. Yeah, really a rare, you know, foray into like magical realism or science fiction or whatever this would be called. Yeah. And then how about this, Keith? How about this for a callback? So after George is like having a whole conversation with the doll, he ends up walking out of monks before when he runs into Pop's daughter <laughs> from the episode where uh, what, I forget, what, what is it? The button? I think it's the gum. The gum, that's what it is. Yeah. So yeah. when uh the woman that that thought George was insane. How's that yeah, for a what callback? A deep cut. Deep cut. Deep One cut. of the deepest in the whole in the whole season. Now is, is um, that a Gamelin Pross episode also? Like are they just like calling back to their own episodes? It is a Gamelin Pross episode. Wow, good call. Yeah. I think that's it just is, like it's such a deep cut reference that nobody else would remember it except for the guys that wrote that episode. It's their last episode. To them, it's like the last thing. You know, it's like the previous episode. Yeah. 
uh, they got a they're they just writing what, like some through line of the Gamelin Prost show. Yeah, that would be. Oh, well, so now we'll check. They what's the next one that Gamelin Prost are they done? Do they leave the show after season seven? Mm-hmm. Uh, no. So for the checks, that's in season eight. So we'll I'll make a note. We'll, we'll <laughs> see if they continue their own story. <laughs> see line. if they call back wonder, like, the billiard parlor or anything like that. I wonder if other writers do stuff like that. Yeah, did also. they write the maestro? Did they write the the uh, the first maestro episode? No, LD wrote the maestro. Okay. All right. So uh, we'll see if there's any other through lines. So we end up with back in the billiard parlor where uh, Frank and Kramer are playing with the maestro. And so uh, that, you know, uh, Frank uh, looks at the picture and uh, the maestro says uh, that, you know, he sees him all the time in Tuscany. He has the reputation of being a very uh, eccentric fellow, kind of a village idiot. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Uh, and Frank says, well, I still think that we could be related. Um, yeah, I mean, is, is Frank Costanza smart? No. No. So, yeah, they could definitely be related. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. So we end up with they're all wearing no pants because of the uh, maestro's uh, trick that he's taught. And so we have a moment where Frank is teaching Kramer how to shoot. It doesn't seem like there is one side of the room where you couldn't get a, a decent shot off. It's surprising that neither of them were able to sink a ball in that first game. And so Kramer is like standing behind Frank working with him on his shot when Estelle walks in and she's very upset. Very homophobic, Estelle. Very. Estelle, come on. I mean, listen, usually we give old people a pass, right? Yeah. But, you know, it's okay if this is a gay club in your house. Still, calm down. It's, the, it's Hammer Time. We're, we're, we're midway through Hammer yeah, Time. Yeah, I mean, she's being very intolerant here. I mean, this is hardly anything uh, super inappropriate that's going yeah. on. I, would you say Estelle is the least woke person on the whole show? <laughs> yes. Okay. I think so. Which, who's, right. the mo- who's the wokest person on Seinfeld? Kramer. Kramer's the wokest? Yes. I mean, Elaine can be woke if, it's, if she's in the mood. If she's in the mood. Yeah, sometimes. Uh, although she was very uptight about Sue Ellen Mischke not wearing a bra. Yeah, that's not woke at all. But no. sometimes she's into some cause or something that's pretty woke. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Anyway, so Jerry and Elaine are still in the apartment. And so they're talking about that maybe Jerry should do material about the doll. Yeah, that's a. I mean, it like it's so weird that Jerry's rely on these props and visual material all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jerry throws some shade at Elaine and says, maybe I could get some work done if there weren't so many people in my apartment all the time. Yeah, that's such a weird thing. I wonder if that's like meta and that's actually like something that's going on on the show. Yeah. All right. So they're saying like, oh, maybe because Jerry's a prop comic now, maybe he could show the doll and show a picture of George's mom and say they're the same. Makes no sense. You need the the audience needs to be familiar with like the first half of the joke Mm -hmm. or it has to be Jerry's mom. It's like I have this friend. This is what she looks like. Yeah. It's, it's you know what I mean? Then okay, now the friend has a girlfriend. Like everyone's gonna be lost. No one's gonna know what you're talking about. Yeah. It's Even terrible. though she does look like the doll, it's the material <laughs> will totally tank. Which is the l- less funny pitch in this episode that the barbecue sauce that looks like Charles Grodin or the doll in the picture of George's mom. You know, if the if the Grodin thing really looks like him, it's not a bad pitch. It only gets you 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not going to be his whole segment. Yeah. But that's at least funny and certainly relevant to this show. I mean, could Jerry pound the bottle of barbecue sauce? Could he get an extra 10 seconds out of that? Well, well that's not a bad scene. What if, like, he brought he had two bottles of barbecue sauce if Sally had come through? Yeah. Well, you could they, write for they, Jimmy Fallon's show now. Yeah, and they Fallon style, like, <laughs> guzzle the barbecue sauce. First one to finish the bottle wins. <laughs> yeah, that would be something. That's a segment. And uh, Fallon would call it a uh, sauce wars. Sauce wars. <laughs> That's a segment. All right. So Jerry calls up Sally and says, hey, is George there? Here's what I need you to do. Go get that doll that looks like George's mom. 
I mean, at this point, he has to know Sally's totally inept. She's There's totally no inept. That's right. That's right. He should have read her the right cell phone thing. Yeah. This is, you know, this is cell phones. This whole thing doesn't happen. OK. All right. So back because oh, you take a picture. He would have first he would have taken the picture of the thing, but she wouldn't have done. No, because he'd call George instead of calling George's house and being unable to reach George or Susan because Sally's answering the phone and George isn't home. Very fair. All right. So back in the billiard parlor. uh, So the maestro needs to go get some air. Uh, What is that code for uh, the maestro is going to go smoke? I think. Well, he's not wearing pants. So we're like, (laughs) he's he's like, what's he airing out? I'm not sure. Is that like. (laughs) A polite way of saying you're going to the bathroom for a while. I don't know. The window that Kramer broke in the billiard parlor would have provided plenty of air. In February, you think it'd be a breeze, right? Okay. (laughs) Anyway, so Kramer ends up going for his next shot, but he realizes that, oh, the maestro left his baton here. I'm not sure why the maestro has to walk around with his baton, but I guess that's part and parcel of walking around telling people your name is the maestro. And so Kramer ends up uh, sinking a ton of shots with the baton from the maestro yeah i mean the the maestro walking around with the baton is pretty silly it would be like if like uh you know ryan fitzpatrick walked around in his jersey or like carrying a football all day yeah or giving footballs to people in opposite colored jerseys right that would be more of his uh, his style <laughs> of walking around <laughs> all right so we're at the charles Grodin show dressing room elaine comes in she's got the poster and uh she's asking the tenor carreras what's his name what's jose carreras jose carreras uh he wants Hey, can you sign my photo? Perfect. He signs it. And so uh, she's so happy. I mean, he's probably happy. No one ever asks him for an autograph unless it's like the other two are also have already signed. Yeah. And so Jerry has a present for her and says, hey, I got something for you. It's the Oradent. Uh, yeah. I mean, she's, uh, you know, she's so touched. No, she could care less. We don't know why she doesn't want it. I guess she just is happy with her toothbrush. She's happy with like, what she has. But why on earth, Keith? And maybe I'm like, you know, talking about this in a 2016 Amazon.com world where I would imagine that this item got shipped to Jerry's apartment. But did Jerry go to a store and buy the Aradent and then bring it to Charles Grodin? Oh, that's like over my head at this point. I can't even. I, that's a good question, but I'm, I'm not sure. Why on earth would Jerry arrange for this to be the place to hand off this giant toothbrush to Elaine? Doesn't make any sense. It makes absolutely no sense. I mean, the only thing that makes sense is like if he went to uh, what, what's it? What's the name of the, the store? Leap and Larry's and picked it up. New Leap and yeah. Larry's. Yeah. Uh, picked it up on the way to do his TV show. <laughs> right. <laughs> all right so elaine it has to now walk around uh with this big box and she needs to go see the maestro i mean she doesn't have to she should just throw the box in the garbage yeah. and, and and say like oh i love the toothbrush or i lost it or something whatever yeah now does jerry know that the no pants crease trick is from the maestro he says kramer taught it to him i feel like he wouldn't do it if he knew it was from the maestro right i, I think kramer probably took credit for it that, <laughs> I, the kramer i know would just not say that and say hey you know, Kramer walks in without pants one day and, and Jerry says, what are you doing? Kramer explains. Yeah. OK, so then we go back to the billiard hall and uh, the maestro is leaving. He says goodbye to uh, Frank and Estelle. And we see the picture. It's Carlo. Uh, or is it? <laughs> well, we'll talk about that when we get there. And so <laughs> they're going to take a look and see if that's the real guy in the tag. Anyway, so uh Sally comes backstage and uh, she calls Jerry. Uh, hey, Mr. Harry Legs. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> and so she brought the doll. And of course, she brought the wrong doll. This doll is much funnier, though. You know, Sally's like the originator of like the meme. You had one job. You had one job. Well, she had several and she screws them all up. But one at a time. And she keeps messing them up. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, and she'll be watching. Don't screw up, she says to him. Yeah, his his biggest fan, Sally. Yes, and then we end up seeing with Jose Carreras uh, that I don't know what he, what exactly he's eating. Apparently, barbecue. I don't know why he did. Jerry bring the other sauce, and he wipes his face with Jerry's pants. Like, what did he think he was wiping his face with? A that towel. Was on, <laughs> yeah, but was there even a towel on his thing? Like, he doesn't look who lo- who wipes their face with something they're not looking at. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. But you know what? This is a blessing in disguise where Jerry needs something to tell Charles Grodin. So why doesn't he just tell the events of this episode? It's true, but do you really? And by the way, so this is what I sort of thought, like, because there's no Grodin scene, and it's like maybe they didn't have anything. Like, the Grodin scene should be Jerry talking about how inept Kathy Griffin is, and then Kathy Griffin, like, charging at him from the stage. Well, yeah, well, and then the punchline is that then Jose Carreras wiped his barbecue sauce face on my pants, and that's why my pants, uh, it looks like I, I uh, had a, a, a terrible day here with these pants, but no, it's actually Jose Carreras uh, wiped barbecue sauce on them. Yeah, but I don't know if the show wants Jerry to call out. That's fine. This is a great talk show. Not perform- Kathy not Griffin would do two hours of stand-up on this. Yeah, you could certainly turn the story into a five to ten All minute right. bit. Have I told you guys my Jose Carreras story? Are you guys ready? Okay. Jose Carreras, the other tenor, not the one that you care about. And uh, she, she would do a concert on this. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's definitely a good bit. Um, it, but again, there is no Grodin scene at the end. Maybe he does it. We don't know. It's crazy. Who needs it? Who needs it? Uh, I would prefer then if maybe then Jose Carreras had the barbecue sauce all over his face and just like shaked his face back and forth violently, uh, just like Beethoven the dog does to Charles Grodin. Uh, I'll like, take Jose! your word. Jose! Yeah. It's very Jose, 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 Jose. <laughs> uh, Jose, 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 Jose. All right. Bro, Jose. Uh, anyway, so going back to the maestro. Now, Elaine walks around the subway and she's carrying the big box. And finally, she gets to see the maestro. And Elaine is like trying to get back together with the maestro. Again, thirsty Elaine here in season seven. Yeah, she's looking for any. She'll settle for any guy. If you were looking for someone on the rebound, Elaine in season seven is your gal. Yeah. And so she ends up giving the poster to the maestro. He's very impressed. He wants to get back together with her. Let's, uh, you know, let's celebrate after the concert for the convalescent home. (laughs) <laughs> which again is so bizarre and elaine spills the wine on the poster and then she just leaves is the, was this wine from something or it just happens to be wine on the table just happens to be wine on the table all right so that's like a very on seinfeldy that like the wine wasn't brought into the picture mm-hmm. sure. shouldn't this this should be like an, a bottle of barbecue sauce you know yeah. that jerry just gave everyone barbecue sauce because he didn't need it yeah elaine does have a good scene on the subway on the way there where a guy like is gonna knock the coffee over and she like picks up the box and the poster very quickly but i feel like that we forgot as a viewer that the original poster was destroyed by wine getting spilled on it. i feel like that, that was not a very memorable detail no but it was mentioned at the beginning of the it was mentioned it was mentioned i just don't feel like i wasn't like oh my god Oh, the poster of the three tenors. I'm so invested in whether or not Elaine is able to get this uh, poster for the maestro. Oh, yeah. We're not bringing the soup Nazi back here. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So the maestro then goes to conduct his orchestra and his baton is broken in half. Keeve, I find this to be super implausible that Kramer played all of this pool with the baton. And then what it cracked in half and then the maestro didn't know and was walking around with a broken baton the whole day. To me, that is implausible. But even more implausible is that these idiots in his orchestra 
can't figure out the baton is broken and just like play their normal way. <laughs> right. You know, like the baton, like, I think, is just a prop. This is insane. These are this orchestra is awful. That's the right. only reason the maestro is able to conduct them. And correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe our emailers can correct this uh, issue. But I am under the impression that any maestro that's worth his salt could conduct the orchestra with a finger. Oh, totally. And if you're a real good um, maestro, you probably have 30 batons or mm-hmm. wands or whatever you call them. Is it possible, Not though, one. that the maestro's orchestra sucks? The, the same orchestra that's playing the of convalescent course. home? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If they were good, they'd be at Radio City Music Hall or at freaking And Lincoln they wouldn't Center. be led by Bob Cobb. No, they would be like <laughs> it would be Coach Ben Wade or somebody. Somebody good. Yeah, somebody one good. of the great conductors. Yeah. All right. So uh, poor, uh, poor the maestro. So then we go back to George and Susan's house and Susan is mad. Why did he take the doll out of the house? And here comes Frank and he is holding up the picture and he is very upset and uh, that he ends up uh, getting into a fight with the doll. Very violent. First, we have Jerry in this episode saying, I'm going to kill Sally. Mm -hmm. He calls her an idiot, like very angrily. And now we have um, Frank Costanza ripping off. This is like cathartic for him, probably. It's like some sort of a proxy for domestic violence. Yeah, this is not good. Or like voodoo style where he's like trying to, you know, get her head to fall off. Yeah, it's not good. I would be if if this is like your wife and you did this to like the doll wife is leaving you. Yeah. Now, Keith, structurally, this is bizarre where the episode ends on Frank Costanza and then it's Frank Costanza in a totally different storyline in Tuscany. Yeah. Again, no Grodin. No Grodin. Uh, no Elaine in the toothbrush. Yeah. Uh, Kramer doesn't really have a storyline. I mean, I guess he's in the pool hall, but he that's plays poor. Pool. Right. <laughs> you know, yes, it's the it's the heaviest Frankenstein's episode until uh, maybe like the fatigues or something in season nine. OK. And so Frank Stanza, he meets his double. It's Carlo. And uh, he says, like, hey, it's me, Frank. And I'm your cousin, Frank. Aren't you, Carlo? And he says, uh, Carlo, no, uh, mi nome è Giuseppe. And it's is an it? awkward conversation because, like, he's speaking Italian, but you can't really hear him and understand that he's speaking Italian at first. It's weird. Yeah. Poorly and directed. And Frank says, uh, what do you know? Okay, I guess I was wrong. End of the show. Uh, bravo. Current call. No, Keeve, is yeah. this actually Frank's cousin? Oh, and you think and he's pretending not to be because Frank is such a nut and they hate each other? Yes. Yeah, that's possible. Uh, I thought about it and I thought, nah, uh, it's like funny that he just like went to Tuscany for no reason. There's no other explanation other than that. Okay, here's this person. He's kind of the village idiot. I mean, Jerry Stiller plays this person. Right. But would he the vigil village idiot even like understand enough to lie about his aid about his name? I think he would know not to pretend that, you know, who Frank Estance is. Even the village idiot knows to avoid Frank. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Fair enough. All right. Uh, Village idiots in Italy are pretty smart. <laughs> Let's start to uh, grade this one out, Keeve. So, sure. Did you see the deleted scene in this episode? I did. I oh. did. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yes. Uh, it's Estelle and uh, <laughs> what, what is she doing? She's like almost hitting on George in a weird way. She's oh, saying, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's basically it's sort of like setting up the George in bed with his mom scene. It's such a weird scene. Very and edible. Is, I mean, yeah, they should. They, it was, you know, they it not only should it have been cut like it was, it should never even been filmed. Like it shouldn't have made it that mm-hmm. far. All right. Well, they realized before they got too far. All right. So let's grade this out. Uh, George with the doll. 
Uh, you know, it, the doll itself is good, so I'll give it a B minus. Like yeah. the, the props department did a good job. That's I'll give it. it an A. I think it's the most memorable thing here in this episode, and it, okay. it, it is funny. And I think you have to, you know, whatever uh, funny business comes out of Frank Costanza, I think you have to give to George here as well. I, I always love these George storylines. I, I rarely am saying like, boy, George storyline really didn't work this week. So uh, I give it an A. What about, uh, you know, Kramer does not have much going on here. He plays pool. He learns how to take his pants off. The pool's funny. They probably could have cut one of those scenes out and and combined them. Yeah. Uh, so I'll give that a B minus too. Yeah, I'll say more of a of a C plus. Uh, you know, I, there's nothing really super memorable about the pool cue and the and the baton and breaking the wall. Uh, not not a lot there. What about Jerry and the barbecue sauce and Charles Grodin? And you know, Sally? it's funny when she hands him the box. Uh, you know, the, I guess this like the scene at the at the show is okay. I'm gonna give it a, a C. The Ardent stuff is so bizarre. Uh, I'll call no, C minus. Yeah, that's terrible. Okay, and Elaine. Yeah, what's her storyline really? That she wants to get a poster for the Maestro, and then she, what? Yeah, and then she receives the Ardent from Jerry. Yeah, D minus. D my Oh boy. Uh, I'll give it a C minus. I think that's you know you know being very very hard on Elaine here. I mean, this episode like isn't especially funny. I mean, it's funnier than some other episodes, but it's as disjointed as pretty much any episode yeah. we've done so far not one of the best of season seven Keith. where do you have it in your rankings you have any guess i'm gonna guess you've been yeah, so down on it i'll say 110 no lower than that lower even wow i mean i feel like it's yeah. been a long time since we had a one uh this low 130 uh yeah it's 131 i have it yeah. that might be too low the hate's gone too far Keith. i don't think so I, I i don't think this is a memorable episode i think the pool scenes are eminently forgettable yeah. uh in seinfeld lore I, there's there's really nothing if I was trying to describe this to like a casual Seinfeld episode, a Seinfeld fan who's seen every episode once or twice, they would have a long time. It would take oh, the old, maybe the doll looking like George's mother, but yeah, they, the doll they thing. The, that's the best of this of what's here. All right, Keeve, you ready mm-hmm. to dive into the mailbag? Uh, yeah. Do you want to you want to read them all? Because I'm kind of like uh, losing my voice here, and and uh, I will gladly read the <laughs> mailbag, uh, Keeve. Of course, if you want to send in your email, Seinfeld at postshowrecaps.com. Johnny DeSavera says, the, the sign behind the guy in Tuscany says Costanza import-export. What do you think he imports and exports? I mean, is the, this, the village idiot, is he doing the importing? Like, this is another <laughs> argument in that the village idiot is not Oh, I think it's completely that he is. I mean, that the fact that, that it's the importing-exporting, what a nod to the classic uh, fake job that George always uh, goes with. Yeah, but I mean, this guy might be like there may really be a carlo but this guy is giuseppe and he is just like the cleaning man for the street and carlo <laughs> then why is he played by jerry stiller oh that's a good question yeah maybe maybe he's like carlo's idiot cousin who also <laughs> looks like jerry stiller all right i believe that he uh imports uh Long matchsticks and exports diapers i feel like pasta would be a good export <laughs> that'd be a good export for Italy. yeah all right courtney and kendall they want to say, what would be a better name for Frank's billiard room? Going on the history of Kramer and Frank, we were considering the Manzier Lounge or in remembrance of what could have been Del Boca Billiards. It's <laughs> good. It's uh, good. And did either of you have a collection growing up? And do you still have said collection? What did they collect in this episode? Uh, what, what did they collect? Dolls. Oh, dolls. A doll collection. Um, no, I don't think I had a, uh, like, what would you have? Like baseball cards, Keith? I had a lot of baseball cards. My mom made me get rid of them pretty recently. Yeah. Well, I went to her house. She's like, oh, you can't leave till you go through like all 100,000 of them. Wow. Yeah. Um, and you cashed in. 
No, I put like the 21. Like I felt like, okay, this will be worth something. And like my most expensive card is worth $12. And again, same FedEx problem where I, I would never like know how to sell them even yeah. if they were worth millions. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no baseball card is worth anything after like 1980. Yeah, my, mo- my, my most expensive thing was like a Shaquille O'Neal rookie <laughs> card. Nothing, nothing. It was more funny to see like old school like John Concack, like early 90s, like wacky mustaches on like top baseball cards. Did you collect anything? Not really. I mean, I had a bunch of different uh, baseball cards. I wouldn't say I collected them or anything like that. Okay. Yeah, I didn't have enough stuff to collect any one thing. Sorry, I was not, uh, did not have you were, a, you were too busy. We know we were too busy collecting ladies' phone numbers. That's right. That's that right. To say? Yes, Dominic <laughs> from Massapequa says, hey guys, is pool at its least popular right now? My high school had a pool hall nearby. That was the place to be. It went out of business in 2000. Arcades are gone. Pool halls are gone. Is this because millennials don't go anywhere yet? Do millennials not like billiards? Well, I think Dominic is saying that they don't leave their house. Yeah. Uh, maybe they play like billiards if it's no, like a popular app on their phone. You can't do that. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, that, that is there a reason why? I feel like that, that used to be fun. I mean, it's kind of like a seedy place. Maybe they're sort of like, yeah. they get shut down. I think I have the answer. What's that? I think billiards went hand in hand with smoking. Yes, and drinking. And when, yeah, and, and well, drinking is still popular. Mm-hmm. Um, but when, when smoking was banned, it was like, oh, what do you do while you're playing billiards when it's not your turn? You know? Right, right. Also, yeah, it's, it, it is a weird thing. I feel like that maybe it was sort of like the hub for like other like CD activity that's maybe easily done other places. I feel like not a lot of women uh, that you meet at the at the pool hall. It's it was mostly dudes. Yeah, uh, there would be wi- there would be women there. But surely, they were like, they surely. Were, yeah, surely was there. No, 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 no. Stop. stop. OK, I think you don't feel good. Now nah, that made me feel much. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know that I can't speak to the fall. Maybe Max the millennial can tell us why the millennials aren't going to the pool hall. But Dominic, who's from Massapequa, which is near where the two of us grew, grew up, it, is right. Like there was a million pool halls when we were little. And now, like, you never run into them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Travis writes in to ask when Frank Stans and Kramer were telling the maestro about the place to be. Do you think that Jerry Stiller was actually having trouble remembering his lines? And it was just so funny that they left it in. Yeah, it's a great point. I, yeah. I think it's exactly what happened. That, he's like, ah, he's famous. what do they call it? Uh, the place to be. Yeah, and it's a great take. And I, I think Jerry Stiller is famous for never remembering his lines. So it's a really good point by Travis. That's great. All right. Jeff P says, one of my favorite scenes in the episode is when George is at the coffee shop by himself. And for some reason, the doll is sitting across the table from him. He hears his mom voice chastising him for the shirt he's wearing, saying he's been wearing that shirt for five years already. Why don't you buy a new shirt? Well, that is basically true because as someone who has watched every episode a few dozen times, I can tell you that George definitely does wear that shirt in one, if not two early episodes from the second season. I give kudos to production for actually pulling out a shirt out of the closet that was worn earlier in the series. Good job, Jeff P. Yeah. Noticing Jeff's clothing. This is, I mean, George's clothing. This is our George clothing expert going forward. Yeah. Jeff P. Craig from Vancouver says, just because the maestro's baton is bent doesn't mean the band wouldn't play the right notes, does it? I always thought the baton was more ceremonial. Couldn't he just wave his hands in the right patterns? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, the, for sure. The, the, the maestro's an idiot and they're stupid for being in the maestro's orchestra. So yeah. they deserve each other. Uh, Paul, the Saints fan says, do you have any podcasting secrets you've picked up over the years to the maestro's crease in the pant trick? Uh, that is a good question, Paul. I would say that my my version of that is that I would say that unless it is freezing out, like extremely cold, like I feel like I am almost always wearing shorts for podcasting. And sometimes, you know, yes, 
I was going to ask, do you ever, because a lot of times you're doing video podcasts and sometimes you're not, uh, do have you ever done a podcast without pants on video and just not stood up? No, definitely not. I mean, I think that I would be more uncomfortable just like sitting here in my underwear and uh, like more like em- potentially embarrassed if I ever had to, for any reason, if there was a fire in my house and have, but I, that often, Keeve, I might be wearing a pair of plaid shorts with a plaid shirt at the time of podcast. I'm very, it's a, that's a real faux pas. Yeah, I feel like if there's a fire and you're doing that, just stay there. Yes, I'll stay there. <laughs> let the waves, let, let the flames engulf you. <laughs> yes. All right. Dan the Benefactor is back to say, also, George makes Jerry give free tickets to Sally in the hopes that Jerry and Sally will hit it off. George is also seemingly hopeful about the meetup when he thinks that Jerry and Sally hit it off before Jerry cor- uh, corrects him. Why would George possibly think that Jerry would like any of Susan's friends? Has relationship George killed independent George? Is this still George trying to get Jerry hitched? Yeah, I think it's George wanting Jerry to be, you know, misery loves company. So he wants Jerry to be married. But he's right. He was just obsessed with keeping the Susan part of his life separate. And now I guess he's just given up and he's like, okay, fine. You know, it would work out for him. Like if Jerry married or dated Sally, then he could double date all the time with George and, you know, Susan, who Jerry would otherwise not want to spend a lot of time with. Yeah. This is a good question from Matt in Massachusetts. I don't know about you guys, but I found it interesting that Frank said from an early age he had no interest in politics. Back in the non-fat yogurt, didn't Frank praise Lloyd Braun for having the wherewithal to advise Mayor David Dinkins to implement a plan where everyone in the city would wear name tags? It's a very good callback. It's a good point. I don't know if Frank viewed that as politics so much as like a social plan. Yeah. Evan in Tuscaloosa says, I also noticed that we never saw Jerry's appearance in the Charles Grodin show. Do you think that he got bumped because they knew he had no material? That's a good theory. I don't think they bumped him. Like maybe he, maybe it, it, uh, they filmed it but didn't air it because Jerry bombed so hard. Mm, I can't imagine that's the case. Probably not, but I, I like the thought process from Evan. Lindsay wants to know, when you got married, did you get any terrible wedding presents? Yes. That's a good question. Yes. C- can you say what you got? All of them that were not money. <laughs> no, they're all terrible. They're all terrible. And it's like, you know, they allowed my wife to go and just pick out like a bunch of things off a list. You know, there's so many things like, oh, like, oh, we need China. Yeah. Keith, I have been married for six and a half years. We have yeah. never once used any of the China that my wife told people to buy us for our wedding. Anything crystal. Anything that's like a like, oh, we need a special cake slicer. So many dopey appliances that you never have used once that my wife cutter. Yeah. Ice cream scooper. Any of these stupid, stupid, like top floor of Macy's registry items that my wife told people to buy us. It was it was a disaster. Yeah. So the key is you get stuff from you like you registered Bed Bath Beyond. And you just like return all that stuff for cash. Yeah, I mean, there's a few things that we could. Oh, my wife had like a specific espresso maker. Oh, Keith, you mentioned we've made espresso in my house. Here's the here's the deal. You know, and I'm far removed from from the the whole marriage scene, but this this makes sense to me. Ask for money from everybody. Don't register for anything. Okay, and then you can take all the money. And if you decide six months down the road, hey, we're going to entertain a lot, and clearly you don't. Then you could go and buy out some fight, buy some fight China, you know, mm-hmm. buy your espresso machine, buy the woks and buy all these. We will you know, never in my entire life use that China. That's and I have saying, a China closet. I have a closet was, for China that I don't use. If it was your you also have like four closets that just have plaid shirts. So <laughs> closets aren't exactly 
perfectly valuable in your home. The the <laughs> to me the like if if this thing was like something you needed like China or like some sort of blender that's like eight hundred dollars. If you needed them, you'll go out with your own money and buy them at some point, right? Mm -hmm. So people give you cash and then you decide after you've been married for like a year or two and you figure out what you know you actually need. And and then you buy it with your own money. So everyone should just give cash. So I agree. Any gift that's not cash yeah. is terrible. Do you know how terrible this is? Where I, I, I've moved like like two times since I've been married. I have to box up all this stuff, put bubble wrap on it. Just having it, just having it has cost me uh, money over the years. Terrible. Terrible. The, I, I can't think of any like really bad. Yeah, I always tell my wife stuff costs money. Like space costs money. And, mm. and you know, just uh, I can't think of any horrible gifts we got. The problem sometimes is with like the Jewish like, you know, you get like these very specific like Jewish objects like a menorah. Mm -hmm. You know, someone will buy you like a really fancy menorah or like a kiddish cup, which is like the wine glass that you that you, uh, you know, make the blessing with on the wine, like traditionally on like Friday night and Saturday. So like you'll get like eight of those and you don't you, you know, at most you need one. And then it's like you don't get the return slip. So what do you do with them? Yeah, I guess you can, they're all silver. You probably now they're probably the best gift we you know i got because if i just like bought you know bought it in, brought in some silver shop i feel like it's probably very valuable but mm. um but yeah but i i also think there was like one like really distant family member my dad's like oh they're like i'm i'm excited to see what they gave you because they're like legendarily bad gift givers yes and and he's like oh they gave us like eight dollars for our wedding my dad's in like 1982 and she just didn't give a gift this lady but i was mm. disappointed I, I for her i thought it would be funny if she gave like do you know about the 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 multiples of eighteen? Yeah, you ever heard about this. Yes, yes. Because you you from Long Island, I'm sure you had to give a bar, bar mitzvah, right? Right. Yeah. So so you do the eighteen. So you give like eighteen hundred. That's solid. You have eighteen dollars. Not great. <laughs> not great. Not great. All right. Uh, <laughs> then Amir says, uh, "Doesn't it feel like a missed opportunity to have a scene with Sally and Newman? Were you missing a Sally and Newman because that she works for FedEx and Newman works for the post office? Yeah, they could. I mean, they didn't." For as messy as this episode was, like they needed more time to deal with the things they already had on the page. So I don't know how it would have worked, but I agree. Like you could have come up with something really funny there. Mm -hmm. Elaine also refers to the maestro as a great guy, Amir says. Uh, yet this is the same person who takes her on an international trip to Tuscany and then completely cuts off ties with her for accidentally spilling wine on a photo. Yeah, that's a good point. He's a jerk. I don't know why she's, you know, like uh, forgetting 10 episodes later that he's such a jerk. Okay. And then finally, Chester... The man who is bringing Akiva as his plus one to his brother's wedding next week. Is that true? Yes. Okay. I don't know if Chester knows, but his brother uh, emailed me an invitation to this wedding. Okay, here we go. So Chester said, why does Leonard Bernstein get credit for taking off your pants when sitting? Robert De Niro did it in Casino the year before this episode takes place. Yeah, nobody knows that, Chester. <laughs> Every man I mean, I in this episode. I guess a popular movie. I guess so. But I, I would imagine that Leonard Bernstein did it before 1995. Yeah, but that's a fictional story, the Leonard Bernstein story. Okay. All right. Well, I don't know. Now, well, whose side are you on, Keith? I'm on your side, but I, I you know, I, I've never, have you ever seen Casino? I yes. feel like it's like, it's on TV all the time and I've seen bits and pieces, but never the whole thing. Yeah, it's good. Uh, every man of this episode adopts this custom without acknowledging its presence in a blockbuster movie from the year before. Is it really a blockbuster casino? Or does just have a long tail? I don't want to get into, you know, the box office success of Casino. <laughs> <laughs> why is bob so attracted to the idea of going to a strange old man's house to play pool uh there are billiards tables every other block in nyc kramer really has the kavorka with men as well like people want to hang out with him yeah and then finally isn't frank's abuse of the estelle doll kind of disturbing and spousal abusey 
Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Jerry and Frank in this episode are a little too rough with the ladies. A little too rough. Okay. All right, Keith. That's the doll. Yeah. By the way, Chester, uh, this is probably the first time ever he's been wrong, but the budget for the film Casino, $52 million. The gross, $42 million. Didn't even Ooh. make back its budget. Box office smash. Maybe Jerry didn't see it because no one freaking saw Casino Chester. Well, people saw it. Yeah, now it be, it's one of these movies like The Big Lebowski, which made a few or rounders that made like a couple million bucks. And then it had the tail in, you know, DVD and then on HBO or whatever. Yeah. All right. So, Keith, what's coming up next week? Uh, next week, we have the Friars Club. Friars Club. OK, uh, so we will uh, see what's going on with that. Keith, do you have a hashtag for today? Hmm. I feel like I don't have anything great. Yeah. Uh, How about Del Boca Billiards? Yeah, that's good. Del Boca Billiards is good. <laughs> I like that. Uh, good job on that one. Uh, so special thanks to Scott St. Pierre, who edits the Seinfeld recap podcast, and also Mike Moore, who writes up the uh, recap. Keeve is also podcasting about the National Football League on the 32 Fans podcast with the aforementioned Alex Chester. Yeah, a lot of Rosh Hashanah talk this week on the podcast. Oh, wow. Are you going to be uh, ranking all of the high holy days? Well, there's only two. Okay. Well, that's <laughs> it's a short podcast. Ranking. Rosh Hashanah one, Yom Kippur two, because you could eat on Rosh Hashanah and you can't on Yom Kippur. So that's pretty, pretty solid. All right, short podcast then. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, you can follow Akiva on Twitter. He's at Keith26. I'm Rob Sisternino. And of course, uh, we love getting the feedback from you guys on our iTunes page. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash Seinfeld iTunes. Take care. Have a good one, everybody. Bye.